Congratulations, you found volume 14 of the Rock of Shame podcast, the backlog-busting, deep-diving music podcast where we discover something new every single week. I am your host, the bad boy Bryce Reed. I am joined by the 20th century schizoid man, Greg Plord. Oh, that fits me perfectly. Thank you. <laughs> and the moon child himself, Mr. Drew Peak. Yeah, dude. Moonchild. <laughs> King Crimson, let's go. We out here. Uh, if you're new to the show, let me give you the good news. Each week, these three hunky men and sometimes guests uh, select a musical group or artist we've never really listened to, and we spend the whole week immersing ourselves in the art and culture and world of that artist, only to return here the following week and tell you all about it. You can listen along with us, or you can, I mean, and as well, uh, you can join our brand new Discord community over at tinyurl.com slash rockofshame. Music is better when you share it, and so is this podcast. Share us on Facebook, tell your friends, tweet us out at rockofshame, you know, do all the stuffs. Uh, but if you want to watch the show live, we record it every Tuesday night over on twitch.tv slash thickboydrewski, spelled the obnoxious way. Most importantly, just subscribe to the show. Be with us here on any pla uh, podcast platform that you listen to and listen along with us every week. We're having a blast over here just discovering new music together uh, week after week after week. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, little show and hang out with everybody. Um, Man, uh, we have so much to get into this week, uh, and we are going to get into it, but we're going to start as we always do with new music. I'll go first because I very rarely do. Uh, that, uh, that Tenacious D Beatles cover that they dropped, uh, kind of interesting. This is uh, uh, something they've been doing live for years. I have uh, live recordings of this dating back to like 2006, maybe they started doing this. It's a cover of the Beatles' uh, You Never Give Me Your Money slash The End um, sort of thing with uh, some sort of uh, dirty, tenacious D lyrics thrown in there too. Um, I'm not historically a huge fan of uh the beatles output <gasps> and so it's not exactly a meeting of uh, minds for me uh but uh you know i i always appreciate new tenacious d stuff even when it's kind of silly and the last few outputs that they've done they did that cover a time warp and stuff like that they seem to be on some sort of recorded covers uh kick perhaps because they find that it does really well um from a social media perspective uh, if I had to guess. And so they're putting out a bunch of these sort of uh, covers of well-known songs. This one, again, kind of a layup because they've been doing it live for years. But uh, it's pretty good. If you're a fan of either one of those acts, you can go and check it out. Um, and uh, it's worth listening to. Other than that, I didn't really get to n n much new stuff this week. We're in the run-up to this uh, show that we're doing um, in just a couple of weeks and so most of my music listening time is listening to my own fucking voice so i can remember uh some of these lyrics that i haven't sung in 500 days so uh let's see uh this week wasn't as big as last week where last week just had a ton of releases yeah um but there were definitely some highlights the tenacious d uh cover i actually did put on my playlist here um another couple of singles that came out that i really enjoyed was a new common a uh, single Imagine featuring PJ on the uh on the chorus. Uh she's really phenomenal there in common of course having the socially conscious lyrics that he does. Mm -hmm. 
It's a very dope, soulful rap tune. Uh, Nas also came out with a Spotify exclusive with uh, Corday and Freddie Gibbs called Life is Like a Dice Game. That was a pretty old school East Coast sounding, and I loved all the verses. Everyone did a fantastic job on that song. As for albums that came out, the one that stood out the most to me um, was the Mallet Brothers with Gold and Light, um, or Gold Light. Uh, the Mallet Brothers, I've only recently gotten into thanks to the single that they did with Spose last year, um, Off Road, which was a fantastic song. And Mallet Brothers are kind of more along the lines of bluegrass, folk rock kind of fusion for the earlier discography. But this one, they go really electric, a little bit of Southern rock influence, a little bit of Springsteen, Heartland rock kind of stuff. And the album, I think, is phenomenal. Uh, Jonathan Weinman continues to, again, just kill it on the production end of things. He is truly Portland, Maine's like secret weapon in terms of producing um, it's easily a top 10 record for me of the year so far. Um, and actually, one last single I want to mention before we get to Drew is a Once Human, who are kind of a melodic death metal, groove metal band, and I've liked their last two records. They are coming out with a new record in 2022, and they just released their first single called Deadlock, featuring Rob Flynn of Machine Head. And this one kind of features a little bit more of a genty groove metal style um, the vocals on here are really solid overall. The guitar solo is nice. Rob Flynn, um, his voice has kind of been on and off with Machine Head for the past few years. So his feature on here is kind of bizarre with his faux rapping. It's not bad, but it probably could have been done without. But overall, it's, I think, still a good song that is worth at least checking out. And I can't wait for Once Humans album, even though I don't understand the releasing a single in July and then the album's not coming out until February of next year. It just makes my impatience all the more vicious <laughs> and aggressive. Wild. Although, I mean, anyway, I, guess that, I guess that's better than Silk Sonic releasing a single and then never releasing the album. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on there, but of course, the, the thing that with six the, months the, ago they put out that song. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, it came out back in no, it came out back in March. It's only been a few months, but Ugh. it feels like forever because everyone's like, dude, this song is fucking phenomenal. Where's the album? And then Anderson Pock and Bruno Mars are just dicking around the entire concept. I'm like, you guys are assholes. <laughs> Give us what we want. It's like they've got all this momentum behind it, and they're do they're just like, no, we'll just do nothing because it doesn't matter when it comes out. People will people will buy it either way. So it's like they they performed at the BET Awards not recently, and they just literally did the song again. I'm like, that's nice, but what's next? What's next? It's got to be partially labels too, though. Sure. I mean, yeah, probably. No. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't be shocked being held back by the fucking labels, dude. They always do that kind of shit in LA. Yeah, I mean, Bruno is. Uh, I think both Bruno and Anderson are on different labels. I'm not sure if they're both on Interscope or not, but I'm pretty sure that that actually would probably play a part in it. Probably. <laughs> yeah, the bigger the label, the longer it's going to take for a fucking release. Like, uh, and yeah. in the case of Bruno Mars, yeah, especially since he hasn't released anything since like 2017. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Drew, but, Drew, you got it. Did, uh, did you bring in anything new? Yeah. Um, I, I did a lot of like going back into time over this weekend, uh, partially because yeah. uh, one of the acts that I saw in New York when I was down there uh, was Oscar G, who is like uh, 
as far as house artists go, he's one of the one of the older ones who's just been around for a long time and has stayed consistently like just like a legend basically. And he's based out of Miami. He takes a lot of like really tribal and like Latin type stuff and influences that into like this very dark dance floor kind of vibe. It's super fun. Um it's it like we were like some of the only white people on this boat. Like it was all just like a very Latin uh like a very latinx crowd mixed with like some black people and stuff like that tons of break dancers lots of young people and old people like alike it was such a great yeah. crowd but it inspired me and i just started going back in a time listening to stuff but like on my way back um i found out that my buddy brandon uh aka tumble down a local artist of portland maine uh released a new uh house track single and um that i listened to that on the way up uh, the artist's name is Tumble Down, T U M B L space down, D O W N. The song's called Hold Tight, off of Therefore Records, also based out of Portland, Maine. Uh, just a nice, um, like, housey track that you definitely should go check out. Um, support your local I now artists. Have saved, I now have saved for later, and I'm going to request that you send me the, uh, the artist you were just describing there with the. Uh, with the Latin uh, Oscar tribal G. sounds there. Oscar, Oscar G, G, dude. Yeah. Um, Oscar he, he's, G. He's, he's a legend. He's up there with like Carl Cox and John Digweed and all these other like uh, artists that have just been around for decades that are still just like monsters on the turntables and just kill it. Um, but the other artist that I di- basically discovered, uh, I was listening to Hip Hop Nation on Sirius XM on the way home. And uh, basically just like me and my buddy Tyler were like going like, eh, like because a lot of it was just really mainstreamy rap. And like some of it I really like some of it. I'm just like, this is just too boring for me. Like, um, but this one artist come on, came on and I was just like, yo, this is sick. What the fuck? And me and Tyler were just both vibing out to him. And he's a kind of a new artist and he and he just was very unique. But they gave him the cred. And, uh, you know, he's. I think he's New York based. Um, the artist's name is, I, I might be mispronouncing it, is Jiao Draft Pick, like J A E O space Draft Pick, D R A F T P I C K, and Kuda, Kuda Boy, K U D A B O Y. And the track is called Oxtail Gravy. And it's just super vibey. Like the hook is really good. Like, um, like savory, like oxtail gravy. Like I love that. Like that's like one of the lines of the hook, and I really like that. It just came out, and uh, he seems like a pretty brand new rap artist. Um, I, I don't see a lot of other stuff by him that's out right now. Like, uh, yeah, it looks like he oh. has singles back from like 2016 and onward, yeah. but not like a full album. Yeah, he hasn't released any full albums. It's just all been singles, but. Um, it's good stuff, man. Uh, I dig it. I like the Oxtail Gravy track a lot. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it for me for new music. I didn't listen to any new albums or anything like that. I just had a very busy week. Um, I mean, it was, it was a pretty through. light week anyway, as Greg said. Like, there there really wasn't a lot that popped up on my release radar or anything like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Word. Well, let's, let's yeah. dive into King Crimson then, shall we? Volume 14, King Crimson. King Crimson are a progressive rock band formed in 1968 in London, England. 
They exerted a... St- oh, by the way, I've pre-read this. Uh, prepare for some incredibly British wording on some of these sentences. Uh, they exerted a strong influence on the early 1970s progressive rock movement and continue to inspire subsequent generations of artists for multiple genres as well. Guitarist and primary composer Robert Fripp the band's only remaining founding member has acted as the driving creative force throughout its history. Although this causes him to be viewed as the band's leader, Fripp himself shuns this label. King Crimson has earned a large cult following and were ranked number 87 on VH1's 100 Greatest Artists of Hard Rock. Initially considered one of the seminal forces, uh, oh, sorry, one of the seminal founding bands in progressive rock, the original King Crimson influenced and altered the music uh, and approach of contemporaries such as Yes and Genesis. Despite this, Fripp in particular has often distanced himself from this genre. Crimson has drawn inspiration from a wide variety of music over the years, keeping their work fresh by incorporating elements of classical music, jazz, folk, heavy metal, uh, game. Milan, uh, industrial, electronic, and experimental music. Founded by Fripp and drummer Michael Giles, uh, bassist and singer Greg Lake, and multi instrumentalist Ian McDonald, and lyricist Peter Sin- Seinfeld, uh, from the ashes of the psychedelic pop trio Giles, Giles, and Fripp. The- <laughs> It's like the law offices of Giles Giles and Fripp. Um, The band initially focused on a dramatic, doom-laden sound rich with layers of melaton strings, flute, and Lake's distinctively powerful vocals. Their debut album in the Court of the Crimson King in 1969 remains their most commercially successful and influential release with a potent mixture of jazz, classical, and experimental music. Their visibility increased tenfold following an opening act slot for the Rolling Stones at Hyde Park in London in July of 1969. Following the sudden departure of McDonald and Giles, Fripp and Seinfeld uh, assumed direction of the group for In the Wake of Poseidon in 1970, the chamber jazz-inspired Lizard in 1970, and Islands in 1971. In 1972, Fripp changed the group's instrumentation and approach, bringing in new players, including bassist John Welton and drummer Bill Bradford. Drawing inspiration from European free improvisation, swapping saxophone for violin in the person of David Cross, and developing ever more complex and clever compositions, they reached what many saw as a new creative peak on Lark's Tongues and Aspect in 1973, Starless and The Bible Black in 1974, and Red in 1974. Fripp disbanded the group in 1974. In 1981, King Crimson reformed with another dramatic change in musical direction. Fripp and Bruford returned from the previous brand, 
previous band, and for the first time, a second guitarist in the person of Adrian B. Liu, uh, who also sang his own lyrics, was incorporated. Also including bassist Tony Levin, whom Fripp had worked with in Peter Gabriel's group, uh, this band blended influences drawn from African music, gamelan, uh, post-punk, and New York minimalism. The Crimson, uh, this Crimson lasted three years, resulting in the trio of albums Discipline, 1981, Beat, 1982, and Three of a Perfect Pair, 1984. Following a decade-long hiatus, Fripp revived the group as a sextet, or as he calls it, a double trio, in 1994. Uh, adding... What? A double trio, dude? <laughs> adding... Oh, my God. Adding stick player Trey Gunn and drummer Pat uh, Mastello, uh, mingling in the mid-70s and 80s approaches uh, with new creative options available via MIDI technology and the two drummers in the group. This revival resulted in another three-year cycle of activity, including the release of a new album, Thrack, and multiple concert recordings. From 1997 to 2000, Fripp formed several smaller configurations of musicians and uh, the larger band to explore different approaches to their music. Uh, uh, the series of related bands collectively known as Projects with a capital K in the middle uh, toured and recorded both live and studio material. Fripp would go on to occasionally form new projects from uh, 2000 to 2006 as well. Fripp, Below, Gun, and Mastiello uh, reunited as King Crimson in 2000 as a more industrial-oriented double duo. <laughs> Releasing The Construction of Light 2000 and The Power to Believe in 2003. After Gun left the group, and Levin rejoined, the band uh, expanded uh, in the person of a new drummer, Gavin Harrison, for a 2008 tour celebrating the 40th anniversary of their formation in November of 1968. Following another hiatus in 2009 through 2012, uh, during which Fripp was thought to be retired from touring, King Crimson came together again in 2013, this time as a septet, and later an octet, uh, with an unusual three-drum kit frontline uh, in the persons of Maciello, Harrison, and Bill uh, Rifflin. Uh, the return of saxophone-slash-flute to the lineup in the person of Mel Collins for the first time since 1972 and uh, new second guitarist and singer Yako Yaskazik. Uh, Levin returned on bass and stick. Drummer Jeremy Stacy participated as well. How uh, many when more I, paragraphs are there here? This is literally <laughs> the last one, I swear to God. It is, it is classically a lot like King Crimson that even their fucking Wikipedia overhead is long. Uh, Stacy eventually joined as a full-time as the third drummer while Rifflin returned and switched to keyboards. Uh, this version of King Crimson 
continued to tour from 2014 to 2019 and have released multiple live albums to critical acclaim, rearranging and reinterpreting their music across the band's entire 50-year career for the first time. They are set to resume touring in 2021. King Crimson on Wikipedia, everybody. Uh, uh, If you were looking for too much information, you found it uh, in the opening of King Crimson's Wikipedia. Uh, Greg, it was your week. It was your pick. You get to start with King Crimson. Indeed it was. So, the way that I approached King Crimson this week... um, the reason I chose King Crimson, I, I did cho- choose a couple other different bands, but we decided to go with King Crimson. The reason I chose King Crimson was because I know um, in the Court of the Crimson Kings iconic album art, I've seen right. that memed to death. And the only reason I even know of King Crimson was because of Kanye West's sample of 21st Century Schizoid Man in arguably one of his best songs ever, Power. Right. And I've never really gone out of my way to listen to King Crimson, even though I do enjoy myself some prog rock and old school prog rock, prog metal from time to time. So I did listen to their entire studio discography, which is In the Court of the Crimson King, In the Wake of Poseidon, Lizard, Islands, Lark's Tongues and Aspic, Starless and the Bible Black, Red, Discipline B, Three of a Perfect Pair, Thrak, The Construction of Light, and The Power to Believe. And each era um, kind of does have a significant shift in tone, as the Wikipedia has stated. Um, but to start off, in The Court of the Crimson King, it, it's definitely hailed as the classic and like the essential King Crimson record for a reason. They, it's definitely prog rock at its arguably proggiest or at least at the earliest start. King Crimson um, is not the most easily accessible band. They're not like Rush or Yes, who tend to have a little bit more pop sensibilities in their compositions and a bit more like of a catchy chorus type of way. Um, they do instrumentally go off the deep end in me- many, many different times. And which for me is okay. But I understand for many... That's not it. But in the Court of the Crimson King, I really enjoyed their blends of jazz, of rock, of uh, classical, and just being very off the wall that even now, I'm not sure there's really a record that even matches up to how weird this record can get. It does go on for a little too long, in my opinion. It's not something I will casually go back to, but I do... I did enjoy this record from front to back, as is. Um, For this particular era of King Crimson, though, going forward from In the Wake of Poseidon, Lizards, and Islands, it does get a little bit shaky songwriting-wise, especially toward Islands, where it just becomes a straight-up jazz fusion record, and most of the rock is almost completely taken out of their sound. Um, This is where they just kind of get proggy and weird, for the sake of getting proggy and weird. And I do enjoy the records post in court of the Crimson King to an extent um, from this era, but I will probably not return to many of these anytime soon. So the seventies era, those first four records in the court of the Crimson King, easily the classic one 
the other three afterward, take it or leave it, personally, for me. Some of the compositions just kind of are the musicians, like the band for musicians kind of thing, and not really the band for like a nice audience kind of thing. It's definitely, hey, if you like this weird composition stuff, then you're really going to love what we're doing, because... Otherwise, you're not going to get much of a catchy fucking riff for the next, like, seven minutes. (laughs) After that, though, when we get to the uh, Reformation in 1973 with the uh, Larks, Tongues and Aspects, Starless and Bible Black and Red, I think that's probably the strongest trilogy of records that they have, Um, especially because of the sort of Middle Eastern influences on the uh, compositions, the more improv, free jazz kind of style that they approach with. But at the same time, there are some songs that are a little bit more condensed in the four-minute, five-minute territory. They aren't afraid to actually condense things down. I like how dynamic a lot of these records are. I like how, especially... um, the drummer during this era, whose name, unfortunately, I forget because the King Crimson's gone through so many goddamn band members. Um, the drummer during this era in particular is absolutely phenomenal. Um, he is fantastic. His solos throughout here are great. The way that he just approaches his drums in a more musical sense, along with everything, is great. But uh, Lark's Tongues and Aspect, I really enjoy. Starless and Bible Black... For, like, the first seven tracks, it's much more condensed and kind of more straightforward than most other King Crimson records. And then the last two songs are just instrumental, eight to nine minute, just going the fuck off King Crimson style. In which, you know, if you don't like that, it ain't gonna win you over. But if you do like it, they're fantastic. And Red, I think, just combines sort of everything that they did in those past two records refines it a little bit, makes it just slightly more straightforward in the compositions, but still keeping that prog element there. And Red, I think, is probably my second favorite record. It's very, it's easily one of the heaviest records that they've done, but it's, I think, the most consistent record that they've done up until this point. It's easily probably the most consistent listen front to back, um, where in the core of the Crimson King, I did like it, but God, does it get fucking weird from track to track and red probably is, it still gets weird, but it's still like probably the most enjoyable front to back. The eighties era, surprisingly not terrible considering all the artists we've listened to that have gone into eighties <laughs> and we go, Jesus, goddamn Christ. Um, and, un- and unfortunately I do know plenty of prog rock bands who joined the new wave era in the eighties that just mm-hmm. do not mesh at all. Take a yes. Uh, and I can't remember what record it was with loner of a owner of a lonely heart, but that record was straight fucking trash. Um, and unfortunately a couple other prog bands did not, age well during that era as well. Rush, I think, is probably the only one, in my personal opinion, that sort of came away unscathed, um, at least during the early 80s. Late 80s kind of got a little bit stale. But um, the three records that King Crimson did, Discipline, Beat, and Three of a Perfect Pair during this era, are not the worst 80s records I've heard. And I think it's because King Crimson still, despite the production 
uh, of the 80s. Their songwriting is very much still weird. And I think it kind of works to their advantage with the production. They they have some really interesting compositions on discipline in particular, where it does take much more of the Middle Eastern influences and brings it much more... I mean, discipline is, I think... I think Beat might be their shortest record, but Discipline is literally like, despite the uh, expanded version here on uh, on Spotify, it was originally like less than 40 minutes. It's a really straightforward record for them. Yeah. It does kind of go on a little bit, but I mean, the the sounds that they're exploring on here and the rhythms that they're doing are really interesting. Uh, B and three of a perfect pair, I think, are a little bit weaker in comparison, but there's still some highlights on there that I enjoyed a little bit. Uh, once we get into the 90s and their 2000s catalog, where they do sort of lean more into their industrial exploration that they did a little bit in the 80s, not strongly, but 90s, they kind of go full full head on into it. It's Okay. I can't say I hated any of it, but I think it's probably the least memorable era for me. Um, there's some good stuff here and there on the albums. I think Construction of Light and The Power to Believe, I think, probably have at least 70% of a good record in there somewhere. But I think just some of the industrial passages that just kind of go on for, especially the interludes on the power to believe just kind of are there they don't really add much and the compositions they're all right but i don't remember a lot of them you could ask me what song in particular that i liked uh power to believe level five is like the only one i can remember off the top of my head <laughs> um and construction of light probably the title track um mm-hmm. i enjoyed that one a lot uh thrack Literally, I don't remember much besides the dinosaur song. And uh, that, yeah, Thrak was a really odd record. It it was like, hmm, let's do industrial and let's do a little bit of grunge. Like, I know Nine Inch Nails. I know Alice in Chains. Let's kind of do that. And it was very mixed results at best. Um, And which actually, going back to the 80s a little bit, um, when the new vocalist comes in, it sounds like the dude listened to a bunch of talking heads like David Byrne and was like, I'm going to do that vocal style. What a bizarre thing to take inspiration from. Like, hey, talking heads are talking heads. People like the talking heads. I love talking heads. But, but I, like, don't know, I don't know why you would be like, I'm going to do that because it's very. <laughs> yeah, like it was blatant that he had yeah. clearly listened to some talking <laughs> heads at some point before recording. and was like, I'm going to do that style. And I'm going to do that for the next three records, and no one's going to stop me. Um, And uh, again, it's not like the worst thing. It's just there are some points where it's like so over the top that I'm just like, dude, you should have just had David Byrne just cover these (laughs) 80s records. And I think you might have had a slightly more effective listen. But um, (laughs) yeah, I guess in in summary... um, And and we can can argue amongst ourselves later, because I know we're probably going to... um, I thoroughly enjoyed King Crimson quite a bit. Um, they're not a band that I'm just going to casually go out of my way to listen to because of the style of prog that they do. It's definitely not the catchiest of music, but I did enjoy everything on a musical level. I enjoyed a lot of the execution, and 
I'm not really a live album guy personally. Like I prefer live shows over live albums, but I mean, I probably wouldn't mind listening to a couple of those live albums and seeing kind of where they changed things up because I do think they are very creative and easily one of the most original bands out there, uh, even currently because they're still around. Um, so yeah, King Crimson is, uh, is two thumbs up for me. I'm not going to give a slap count yet, but I liked them. And now I wait for uh, one of you to completely shit upon it. <laughs> Drew, Drew, do you want to... Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! That's pretty presumptuous of you. Drew, Drew, do Great. you want to go next or do you want to close? Sure. So, yeah, K-Bart would like to add something in as well because he's got to go do some stuff. During the live stream, he couldn't really stick around the whole time. He wanted to lay in his two cents because... You know, that's what we do on the live stream. You know what I yeah. mean? We get people to weigh in their two cents. They get they get to have their voices heard, oh, too. Yeah. When you join us and listening along with this, and you can join in the Discord, it's a fun time. So anyways, K-Bart, um, 1469, nice, uh, said, okay, going to listen on and off. Uh, time for dinner and packing, etc. Um, so yeah, this is what he said. Love the lyrics. The poems are great and deep and tell some good stories music when so-called jamming sounds like instruments in a washing machine i loved the poem in moonchild musically is just insanely wow i loved thrack actually i was vibing out pretty good to it uh there was some song that sounds like zero by uh by the pumpkins called guts on side two or i mean uh guts on my side um and then he said two slaps from me so anyways, uh, that's Kay Bart's um, two cents on the matter. And if you want to weigh in with your two cents on uh, when you do a listen through with us throughout the week, uh, make sure to tune to our live stream. Anyways, on to, on to me. <laughs> uh, let's see. I listened to In the Court of the Crimson King or um, the acronym It Cocked. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was a joke. It's cocked. Um, it's cocked. Um, so yeah, I listened in the Court of the Crimson King. I skipped the rest of the seventies uh, with uh, with strong hopes <laughs> for maybe something else in the seventies being all right. And I came back to with Red, uh, and also partially wise, just because I had a very jam packed weekend sure. and week work week. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I came back to Red, and then I listened to Discipline Beat. Three of a Perfect Pair, Thrak, um, The Construction of Light, The Power to Believe. I did not listen to any of the live albums, although in the past I've watched one of their live performances on YouTube. Um, yeah, so where to start with King Crimson? Um, you know, that was really presumptuous of you, Greg, to say that we were just going to shit on him. You know, like, I came in with a very open mind... Uh, with King Crimson, and uh, there was some stuff that I liked actually quite a bit. Um, My apologies. Yeah, a lot of it really fucking sucked. <laughs> I knew it. Like a lot of it sucked a lot. Like to me, to me, I was not about it for like quite a bit of it. I oh, mean, tr- as, trust me. As soon as I was getting into like a lot of the really long proggy stuff, I'm like, oh, Drew is probably fucking hating this 
look, when there was really good instrumentation and they were locked the fuck in, it was cool. I was fine with it because I like jam bands and stuff. Like, I like, and even the more kind of heavier stuff, like in that regards, like Humphreys McGee, for example, mm. who I am almost positive has to have some kind of influence from King Crimson because I heard a lot of it in Humphreys McGee. This is the time for me to ask this question, Drew, because you've been openly vocal about your distaste for prog stuff like this in the past. But as a casual observer of both genres, I wonder how you rectify and distinguish between this and jam music, which, again, as a casual observer of jam music, seems remarkably similar, maybe with a little bit more funk influence. Uh, but the things, the things that you seem to dislike about prog music are the things that I dislike about jam music. And so I'm wondering exactly where the line is for you in that. So, like, a lot of these bands, right, like Dopapod or Humphreys McGee and stuff like that, they have that prog rock element to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, like, I definitely enjoy the improv um quite a bit i think for me sometimes the prog rock stuff um since it's like kind of predetermined like a lot of progressive stuff is pre-written to take this direction and it takes the fun out of it for me as opposed to combating that against someone who is improving it and it's coming off just as impressive as something that could be pre-written but um there's just a lot of the time the elements can be more exciting because it's it's a lot of risk taking but you don't know what's going to happen in the moment it's just feeding off of each other feeding off of the crowd it's a very live aspect to it whereas like progressive uh genre in general is like predetermined and pre-written with just the group um with no idea how a crowd is going to respond like there's no like pushing and pulling uh, that you would have it in an improvisation. And the thing with King Crimson, though, is like there are some stuff that's improv in it. And I think that is actually their weakest point, which is why I feel like sometimes like prog rock bands are really good at what they do if they have the time to predetermine what they're going to do in that <laughs> genre. And they can practice that instrumentation. And I just like, I was really impressed by some of that. Like the more calculated stuff where they're really tight. I was actually really into that stuff. Like I would say like my favorite albums out of it, out of uh, my listens were um, wait, going back and listening to uh, the power to believe. I really liked um, some of the instrumentation of that. I still really like the song level five, like a lot. Yeah. That's like one of my favorites. Like I just love all the different parts in it. Um, it's a well-written prog rock mm. song, um, but it's like actually to me, like, fucking like dope it has the doom element it has the industrial side which i enjoy industrial stuff quite a bit um and it's not like it doesn't have that like classical like we're gonna just do these crazy movements and stuff it's just like it just feels like every part is just badass and it's just like they wrote a song they were like let's do this because it's fucking cool and they just did that throughout the entire thing and I was like, yeah, like, it is cool. Like, good job, guys. And then, like, they do things where they just, like, noodle for, like, fucking 14 minutes. And I'm like, guys, come on. 
what what makes you think that this is like interesting to anybody who knows anything about music? It's just not like it's interesting to people who maybe think they know stuff about music. They're like, wow, like these guys are so experimental or whatever the fuck. Like, I don't really know like what the whole purpose was of any of that stuff in it. Like, I really enjoy it when it was really tight. The instrumentation was really good. There was a lot of locking in with rhythmic parts and like really cool polyrhythms and stuff like that. Um, I think it's in that album. They have the. Uh, is that the one with the barbershop thing? Yeah, the barbershop uh, right toward the end. Yeah. Um, dude, like, it's so funny when it's like, and step to that uh, 21 beat or whatever. It's just like, dude, it really is like that at certain points where it's literally just like 21 over whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, their polyrhythms and their time signatures are absolutely fucking ridiculous. Yeah. And like, I, I like that they can laugh at themselves in this era. It's because they've been around for so long. They even take a stab at the fact that they're really only known for Court of the Crimson King. And, like, you know, and all that. Like, I thought that was really clever. Like, it's good to know that they have a sense of humor for themselves. And they don't take themselves as seriously as, like, a band like, oh, I don't know, Oasis. Um, <laughs> like, I think that's, like, pol- pretty Polar reassuring. opposite bands. But, but yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. though. Well, that's the, like, that's the other thing, though, too, is, like, they take themselves pretty seriously in the in respect to like being like focused on creating their sound you know like but they have enough self-reflection to realize that they're a very inaccessible prog rock band um and i really appreciate that because it's true it's very inaccessible um there's not a lot of pop structure and pretty much any other stuff um, and the songs that I really liked were the ones that had more of that pop structure to them. Um, just plain and simple. Like, I also really liked, I thought that was a really strong opening in, um, uh, was it three perfect pair? No, it was, it was, it was discipline. Uh, elephant talk was fucking lit. Like, yeah, no, I really liked I heard that elephant song. Talk, I'm like, like oh, th- this is their eighties photography. Okay. Let's, let's see where the fuck this dude, goes. Their whole eighties discography was like this weird polar opposite of everything we've listened to in the past where like the eighties, they actually kind of were dope. Like, yeah. Um, what they had created for their duo or their double trio, whatever the fuck kind of name they were trying to do. That was a, I feel that like was that's a, a joke. Like that has to be, that has to be like some joke that they did to an interviewer or something like that. Because these guys do seem like, <laughs> like with that barbershop song and everything, like, I, I don't know much about them, but I feel like they have to have like this, like really sarcastic, like satirical sense of humor to them because like naming yourself a double trio is like, yeah, I think, I think either eye rolling or funny. Yeah. I think Robert Fripp does have a, a lot of a sense of humor to himself. Cause I mean, even recently, and I haven't watched these videos, but I've seen headlines from like various Facebook things I follow where Robert Fripp does a cover of like system of a down or like a couple of these other bands and the thumbnails look like, really weird and kind of funny in the interviews that he has are kind of, so it seems like Robert Fripp kind of understand, especially since right in the, uh, right in the Wikipedia that Bryce read where he kind of is distancing himself from like, you know, the prog genre as a whole. He's just kind of like, yeah, I know what kind of music we make. We're really fucking weird. Let's have a laugh about it. Yeah. So at at least he he seems like a pretty decent dude, all things considered. And in the live stuff, too, like, he's the only person sitting down, like, aside from the drummer, obviously, but he's, like, sitting down, like, way in the back with his guitar. Like, everyone else is, like, in a normal position in the band, but he's just, like, somewhere in the back sitting down in a chair with his guitar, 
He's not, I don't think he's like handicapped or anything. He's just choosing to just be seated with his guitar at the high energy live show where everyone else is like up front and just like doing their thing. And he's just like bulling in the back with his glasses on his curly hair, just like playing guitar. Even when he takes his solos, he's just sitting down, just like doing his thing. And I'm just like, dude, this man is fucking weird. But like, that's the whole band is like, they're just fucking weird. And like, I'm all right with that. Honestly, like I don't really have any issues with it. I just, it's just not really like, again, like a lot of it's just not my taste. Like, for listening purposes like i i liked that elephant talk song i like level five like i like their more tighter instrumentation that has more of a drive to it and kind of hits a destination and doesn't fiddle fuck around for like half the song and shit um but like i think like also a lot of my preference in like the jam band music too has changed a bit like where i've gotten more picky in that regard too where i like more of the jam bands that have more, maybe like a little more of the prog rock element into them. And, but they also do really solid improvisations where it kind of goes somewhere. Um, and they don't really like just really open up and noodle. Like, like I don't like fish, you know what I mean? Like, uh, there's like a couple other jam bands. I'm just really not that into that. Just kind of like that band twiddle. Like, I don't really like a lot of these bands that kind of just sit in spacey areas for a really long time. I'm just like, I'm like, yeah, okay, like, this would be really fun if I was really fucked up and I needed, like, a break from a beat and, like, basic music and stuff. But, like, I don't know. When it, when it has more instrumentation, everyone's locked in, it kind of is going someplace. They have an idea of where they want it to kind of go. Right. And they're, like, doing that. I like that more. Um, so it's just, like, a lot of the time with a lot of prog stuff, it just kind of unintentionally just for the sake of just like doing it goes a really long time and adds a lot of parts to them that feel like they don't need to be there for me. And that happened with King Crimson, like a lot, like where I was like, this doesn't really help the song. It's just like an interesting part. Like if that makes any sense, like, yeah. It, and if I, if I may add, cause I think I might have another interpretation of how you're saying it, especially with comparing jam and prog is that with jam, usually with jam bands, at least how I've listened to it, they always sort of keep that familiar element in the original song wherever they're jamming, and then they'll throw something on top of that, whereas with the prog music like King Crimson, and especially the earlier records, they will go off on extremely different tangents without really any consideration of, is that transition even good? Like, is this going to even be kind of cool or not whereas with jam bands it's kind of like improving already over a familiar element that you probably already enjoyed from it mm, i i mean yes yes and no like that's true with like older jam bands like the grateful dead um they but like i was listening to um a podcast with like this band called the disco biscuits that uh it's probably one of my favorites just because they um they uh the the lead bass player who is known as Brownie or Mark Brownstein was talking about how uh Grateful Dead era jam bands and like probably a lot of fish too because they were kind of like the thing that people jumped onto when Jerry Garcia died um are like kind of more form formula 1 jam bands and then formula 2 which a lot of the newer era bands like the Disco Biscuits Humphreys McGee, uh, STS9, like a lot of these other bands do, uh, like do more of like a formula too, where um, 
it goes out of the song structure into something completely different. But uh, they're really haste, hastily doing it, though. Like, um, some of them are. Some of them don't, which I don't like. But, like, the ones that kind of hastily move into a different kind of idea and just really break it down and bring it back in quickly and, like, develop something very fast and efficiently um, are more kind of up to my speed. And, like, uh, you know, the, re- the way the Disco Biscuits kind of gets away with it is, like, they do have, like, a kind of dancey beat going behind them the whole time. The drummer is, like, kind of, like, the bread and butter for that band. Like, they lock it in, and he just keeps the beat going. And they're able to kind of put stuff and add layers back on top of it again. It's a very electronic music influence kind of band. But anyways, um, so, like, I like the bands that kind of purposely move in a direction. Even if it's not in the formula of the song, they do something that, and they respond to the crowd. They hear what's working and what's not. And they build off of that, and they create something new every single time you see them. So even if you're seeing them live for multiple times, and you hear them say, play a same song, it's never going to sound like the one you heard before, like, at all. Like, it's always going to sound drastically different. Whereas, like, The Grateful Dead or, like, Fish, it's going to have a very, a whole lot of similarities to it with, like, very little, like, differentiation, except for maybe, like, guitar solos. Mm. Improvisation might go longer or like might be a little bit more experimental but like it stays within the form like a jazz band what basically whereas this is like we're just going to completely we might even do a key change like we're just going to completely go off like script here and like that's i like that a lot um especially when they incorporate electronic industrial stuff but anyways that's my really long spiel on jam bands back to king crimson like i got to say um when they do that kind of off the script thing it just um, it gets into that really weird noodly stuff that it's just very it feels very unguided and like how K Bart mentioned in chat it it kind of sometimes sounds like the instruments are in a washing machine like that's that level of improvisation that like stresses me out because I'm just like it, it doesn't feel like um it, it feels so freeform to the point where it's just like it's not fun to listen to it's just kind of like an interesting sort of adventure that the musicians are doing and like it's so clear that this dude i have never resonated more with anything you've said on the show than saying that this band stressed you out yeah um Um, that uh i'm gonna get into to my thoughts on it when you're done but uh that was the general feeling i had throughout their catalog was just stress yeah um no it's fine like and like you're right because like that was one of the things that I experienced with it because they just, um, it's so clear that like they're just doing this for themselves. And if you like what they're doing, great. But if you don't, they don't care. Like, right. And this man is just kind of doing his thing and forming bands and exploring music in a way that he feels like he wants to do. And sure. that is so like unapologetically brave of him to do that. And like, I really do appreciate that as far as that's concerned, because it allows for a lot of stuff that people can take inspiration from and do better in the future. Um, because right. I don't really think it's very good. Uh, right. in like some of the stuff <laughs> that he was doing, um, it just, it just was like very, like it very, it was very risky and it was just kind of like, buddy, like, 
and it just would fade out a lot of the time too. It would just be like, ah, that's it. That's that one. <laughs> there wasn't like a purpose to it. It wasn't like it was fading into something meaningful. It was just like, that's the end of that shit. Like that, that project is done. Next song, go. And just completely different thing. Like how hard is it to put a bop, bop, ba da bop, bop, bop at the end, you know, like just to finish it up. Or just something that kind of meaningfully <laughs> faded into the next song or something. Like it, it was just kind sure. of like they were just doing their fucking thing in the most unexpected way. And like that was crazy as fuck and like very experimental. I'm probably some of the most experimental shit I've willingly listened to for a long period of time and not straight away from and i gotta say like patiently going through that and just trying to get through all that shit without being like this is boring as fuck and like going on to the next thing like i normally do when something gets to the point where i'm just like all right i've had enough like i went through it and was just like wow like i was disappointed like <laughs> like you know like i just like i was really hoping that it would do something and it didn't and i was like all right well damn man like fuck like and i i wanted to like blame it on the fact that my week was like really depending on me to have time to do things and stuff and like being prompt about stuff but dude like i did a lot of my listening to this stuff when i had the downtime and i had a lot of the downtime and even then i was like man i feel like this is just a waste of time like for some of the stuff like i'm not saying all of it like i already mentioned there's definitely some stuff in it i liked it's just like Right. There were large chunks where I was just like, these guys are just kind of just doing their thing, you know, <laughs> like, and I don't really know if they even know what the fuck's going on, but they're fucking doing something. All right. And they decided to hit record on this. Wow. Like that, <laughs> that really happened. And like, I'm not saying it's all like that. It's just like, there were definitely some things in there where I was just like, I don't really get why they thought that this was something that needed to be on the album. <laughs> Especially for 15 <laughs> minutes of the album. Yeah. Like, I think probably the the perfect example of that was probably the album Red. Where some of those songs just, like, were so fucking long. And I was just like, man, imagine <laughs> seeing that album on vinyl and being like, you know what? I liked 21st Century Schizoid Men. I'm going to give them another listen. And then you hear all of that for over an hour and you're just like wow i can't believe i bought this you know what i mean and the fact that that's like one of their most popular albums makes me think that um a lot of king crimson fans aren't that smart <clears throat> so anyways um that's pretty much my two cents on it um bryce what did you think of king crimson oh it's my turn yeah <laughs> Um, I feel like the kid who didn't do the reading, uh, because I listened to, uh, in the court of the Kim's in the court of the Crimson King, 1969, uh, lizard, 1970 in the wake of Poseidon, 1970 islands, 1971 larks tongues in aspic, 1973 starless and Bible black, 1974 and red 1974. And then I promptly, um, tapped out, uh, mostly because I was really, when I would listen to King Crimson, uh, I would um, want to die. And uh, it just wasn't a good feeling to listen to them because I wanted to die so much while I was listening to them, you know? Like, I would put on one of their songs 
and start listening through it. And then as I was listening through it, I would think to myself, I kind of want to die, you know, uh, because uh, this band is uh, Nissan Instant Ramen, man. It's, uh, f- it's fucking oodles and noodles. Uh, it's fucking ridiculous uh, in like the worst way. Uh, I found, <laughs> I mean, even, even the, you know, and, and, and it's telling that their Spotify like top uh, five or whatever is, is five songs from court of the crimson king and then i think there's one from red maybe um and uh and you can tell you listen to that record and it gets to fucking moonchild and it oh man i have so many things to say about this record it's uh, this band is just exploding uh uh my god uh you get to like moonchild on that record and it's like fuck me man holy shit uh, and, and I, what's the problem is I'm saying these things and these are things I would say about a band that I thought was really good, but I feel the opposite about this band. I think they are completely capable of writing good songs. I just think they have absolutely no interest in doing it. Um, and instead spend all of their time on this relentlessly masturbatory, uh, campaign of, uh, proving that they can noodle the hardest out of any other band in the seventies. And I love seven rock music it's maybe my favorite era of rock music you know i like the first two queen records which are very prog rocky but are still they still like write songs and shit instead of just going on these jazz escapades for fucking 14 minutes uh, it's pretty freeform even for jazz to be honest like with some of that yeah shit. and like there are there were say i i went back and forth between being like this is either the most humorless, pretentious bullshit I've ever listened to, or this is the biggest fucking joke record in the history of recording. Uh, and everyone just took it seriously, and he was like, oh, okay. Uh, because there are huge lengths of this record that are just like a drummer playing out of time for like fucking two and a half minutes and then the little flute guy comes over and goes goes boop 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 Christ. boop boop it's called polyrhythms okay <laughs> that that only exactly. he hears that like... only he hears by the way he's the only one that right, hears those polyrhythms right. and then the band is all on different time signatures too but, uh, but I really... if the flute bothered you, you would absolutely detest Jethro Tull. Oh, I do. <laughs> okay, I do hate then... Jethro Tull. <laughs> I love Jethro Tull. <laughs> so, uh, so I of course you yeah, do. Yeah, like I understand how this could be some people's thing, but like jazz. To point on the jazz, uh, there's a lot of jazz on what they do. Jazz has this uh, this uh, notorious reputation for being the music that people who want to seem smart say they like, even though they don't really understand it either. King Crimson is that band, man. Uh, Everyone I found, you know, because I got to the end of Red and I was like, I'm going to go on YouTube and listen to some fucking nerds tell me what they like about this band because I don't like anything about this band. Uh, And so I listened to a bunch of fucking YouTube nerds talk about King Crimson uh, for like half an hour. And uh, it struck me entirely as as jazz head stuff. And and like, there are people who legitimately like jazz, not putting down jazz. There are people who legitimately like this type of music, but almost everybody I found, sure, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Almost, which is why I think you probably responded to this better than either Drew or I did. Uh, Yeah, but but, I'm also uh, like fully aware of jazz music music and like have played a lot of it and i'm even like 
Right. Okay, Cream Crimson. Relax. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, like, uh, like I mentioned, King Crimson is not a band I'm going to go to casually. King Crimson is not a band that I'm going to go to ever. <laughs> and and so and it's part of it's how my brain is where like I am not able to listen to music passively. I know this about myself. This is why a lot of artists who will be like, yeah, the but you know, like when Drew talks about electronic music or or when people talk about jazz or whatever, like putting on music in the background is not something I am capable of doing because my brain focuses on it too much. Regardless of it. it's, uh, I can't do it, and and my brain just craves structure. And so anything like this where it's just just music, just they're just doing fucking whatever on the record or whatever. Just again, like Drew like drew pointed out it just stressed me out the whole thing just stressed me out when i would listen to it and it would make me feel bad which i mean maybe that's what they were going for uh but it didn't make me feel anything other than just like kind of a sickness in my stomach from how uh sort of uh disorienting it was uh which again i understand like you can want to push new boundaries or whatever but i didn't carry on after 1974 into the other iterations of the band uh, first of all, because damn, that's where it was actually okay, though. That's the part that I'm really bummed out I'm about. About to say, about to say, their A's discography is actually where I think you would actually be okay with it because yeah. they actually condense their sound down a lot, more like a structure. lot. It would have been way more listenable. And like the '70s, I knew it was going to be like that for the '70s. I was like, bye, bye. I'll come back. I'm going to go up further because. This is not it right here. Like, I have a feeling that the rest of it is not yeah. going to be it. Yeah, Drew, Drew, you would have absolutely detested Islands. And that's the record I think is their weakest because it's just purely jazz fusion for the sake yeah, of Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Jazz get fusion. The, like, seriously, like, e- Even fine. I was just like, e- even I was yeah. just like, uh, is is the song going to go anywhere interesting? I don't do enough drugs anymore to listen to <laughs> shit like that. Like, that's yeah. like drug. Uh, I can, I can listen to this dead sober. So, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't the, think you uh, need to be on drugs for, for me. Like, but... if it's super experimental and like, I, I, I really like, I just, I'm too ADHD now to like. It needs to fucking do its thing. You know what I mean? Like, it has to have that thing in it. And like, if it's just like a lot of like calling and responding, and like mm-hmm. everyone's kind of like feeling each other's space out and stuff. Like, I need copious amounts of weed. Or like some LSD or something to really make it so I'm in it fully, like where I can't get distracted I, I by think, other shit. And I think a band, I think a band that you would actually like, Drew. Um, and I actually heard these guys back in college. They're a bit, and I don't know if they're actually going to record new music or not. But they're a band called Coquette. Uh, they're from Vermont. They're a trio, and they basically do a lot more like alt rock indie rock punk stuff but with sort of prog sprinklings in their stuff and i think that's the kind of stuff that you would probably appreciate a little bit more because it's they have the weirder stuff but it's much more condensed like the longest song they have is like maybe five and a half minutes and it mostly sounds like a tool song well the thing about Um, it though is like i'm not really like stressed out about song lengths like i literally will vibe out to like a 10 minute long house song you know what i mean like yeah it's more kind of like but it has but, to have like a certain like soniconess co- to it mixed in with like some tightness like like overall right. and that's yeah. where i think coquette and i think that's where coquette would actually work for you because they do keep their stuff very very tight they do a bunch of weird 
breakdown solo-y kind of shit, but it doesn't go into very extreme weirdness. I think that's actually a band that you would actually... So I'd recommend that. And anyone listening to this, listen to Coquette. They're honestly, I think, one of the best bands that should be huge, but they're not. God damn. Shout out to Coquette. Anyway, what Bryce. Bryce, continue. <clears throat> Bow. Anyway, I... Uh... I listened to all these fucking dudes on YouTube talk about the band, and they were like, oh, and then we get to the 80s discography where they bring in, like, new wave elements, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm done. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, That's great. That's the era all of the, I think you would of, actually like more. All, all of the shit in the 70s mixed with fucking new wave elements. God damn. I might as well just blow my fucking brains out right now. Uh, but uh, you guys say I would have enjoyed it more. Uh, I guess we will never know. Uh, because I will never listen to this band again. Uh, I, I found, for me, and I understand, again, I am sympathetic to people listen to music music for different reasons people get different things out of it there are people who love listening to classical music there are people who love listening to improvisational music i really love songs i want to hear songs and i what was particularly frustrating for me is that you take a song like moonchild where moonchild is a fucking song for like the first two minutes and then they're like fuck it and they do 10 minutes of just whatever at the end and it's like what the fuck is going like you could have just written a great song like you had hooks and a fucking uh lyrics and like it was like you were going somewhere and i was like this is kind of nice and then it's just just 10 minutes of just fucking jerking off on the record it's so stupid um and everybody that i encountered that talked about this record online who was like i love king crimson it is it, it was so just like oh they were just so and i'm like this is so fucking pretentious i can't even handle it I, uh but yeah, again I like i went back and <laughs> forth and honestly i'm leaning at the end towards it being a big fucking joke uh the whole thing uh because there are there are so, i think it's a combination Bryce. i will say it's a combination like i think that there's some of it that they kind of have to take seriously to be able to formulate it. But I think that there's a big chunk of it sure. where they're just like, <laughs> let's just fucking fuck it around. You know, like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, like, I mean, Ro- Robert Fripp from anything I've, anything I've seen of Robert Fripp, he just seems like a dude that's like, let's just fucking do it. I don't, I don't give a fuck. I'm having, I'm having, I'm having fun. Yeah, I'm having fun. Let's fucking <laughs> fuck it around. You know, who cares? <laughs> like, that's literally how I think of that guy in my head. It's just like, like a, like a fat, lazy Steven Seagal. Like, you know, we're just going to, Fucking noodle around her, uh, like an hour. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> like there were some, there were some passages in the '70s record where I was like, "There's no, there, uh, someone could not play this music and be serious," uh, yeah, because dude. there's just no way. It's fucking so goddamn stupid. <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, the part that sucks the most dumb. though is that there's a lot of people that are really like saying, like when they're hearing this, yeah. "What a bunch of geniuses." Like, these guys are fucking and, and don't, brilliant and, for doing this. And it's like, I mean, I guess, like, they're pretty famous for doing this. Like, that's kind of crazy. That is pretty ingenious that they did that and got really famous. Like, that is pretty ingenious. Well, I, I just, I just, this is kind of my closing statement. I want to point out that I appreciate the musicianship of the band. Uh, I also don't care uh, that the, the, 
the parts are difficult to play or whatever. I could not care. And and granted, I am as a musician. I come from a very privileged place of being a vocal performer. Ninety percent of playing my music uh, to the degree that I do is literally just like intuition based instrument, right? Uh, and so I don't sit back and go, "Oh no, you have no idea how hard it is to play that line, dude." He's like a fucking genius, bro. Because like it doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't mean anything to me at all uh, and so uh while i can sit back and be like yeah they're probably pretty good some of these sounded kind of difficult to play i guess uh but as far as like that part of it which definitely seems like it's a big part of it for king king crimson fans i'm like eh, i don't care <laughs> so yeah like the way that i view king crimson is that like in comparison to a bunch of other prog bands that came like after them they're definitely like a very technical musician's favorite kind of band. Whereas if you're in, in your case or in Drew's case where you want something a little bit more immediate, a little bit more to the point and just a little bit more like concise. King Crimson is not going to be that. What I would say is that song craft and songwriting is also a skill that is impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so if you just completely ignore doing that at every turn uh, to instead just fucking masturbate all over the tapes uh and just like fucking noodle around for <laughs> endless amount of time you have to imagine they're putting out these records all of these records are an hour long which means they're all like double lps that they're putting out yep <laughs> people are listening double, to it just triple. like oh oh my fucking word i mean what the part is that, this? i don't know it's just like the part that really just kind of like does it for me it's just like where some of the things are labeled as improv, and then when I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, I believe it was improv. <laughs> it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, were... oh, I believe that that was improv. That's that's convincing. Yeah, that I, sounds improv. I, I would say uh, there were parts in this record where I felt like, uh, or, or discography, where I felt like the band was aggressively daring me to turn it off. Like, they were like, turn it off, pussy. See what happens. You know? Hey. Hey, turn it off, you little pussy bitch. Uh, like, throughout <laughs> the record, I felt like they were saying that to me because there were so many passages that were just like, what? Uh, can you fucking go somewhere? My God. Uh, like, the best, mar the best marketing that King Crimson could have done is if in the core of the Crimson King, they just had, like, a magazine ad out, and it was like, you see this face that's on the album cover? That's going to be your face after listening to this record. <laughs> yeah, there were... There were there were parts in the 70s where a song would start with literally two minutes of silence. It'd just be silent for two minutes. As if they were listening in the studio and they're like, bro, after that song, people are going to need a fucking break, dude. So, like, we need to, like, do two minutes of silence at the beginning of this song and then come in really quiet with the drums and slowly build up over the next three minutes. It's like... Oh my god! Oh, it's just the level of fucking delusion and 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 self uh, 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 aggrandizing of like oh, it's just too much for me, man. I wouldn't say that I 
hate this band, but I would say, which is why they wouldn't be a zero even if I had a zero left, but I would say that I don't like anything about this band, uh, which is not quite the same, but isn't fucking far from it. Uh, should, should, we just, do, should we do slap count? Yeah. Yeah, I think we should. My slap count is uh, probably leaning more toward a four. Just because okay. I, I do thoroughly enjoy what they do. Again, it's not a casual listen for me. But when I've put most of their records on, like I said, at the, some of that 70s era and those first four records, I like the Court of the Crimson King. The three records that come after it, I've just kind of skipped over. And the rest of it, I've found plenty to enjoy on some level um, myself. And obviously... And like you said, I think we both listen to it for, we listen to music in different ways and for different reasons. And for me, I think this style of music just kind of rings a little bit more for me. Um, Well, it's kind of confusing the way that you're talking about it because you're saying that you couldn't listen to it casually. I can't imagine listening to this band in any other way than casually. Like sitting down and focusing on this band would remind me of how... Like, much like they're in, just like fuck I guess it. the way I could uh, uh, emphasize that a little bit more, like give it a little more detail, is like I could easily put on a Kanye record. I could put on a Descendants record. I could put on a Boston's right. record. I could put on a Rush record, even a Rush record if I want to like label a different prog band or even a Yes record. Probably far more like, oh yeah, I'm going to listen to this and just put it on and just enjoy it. Where King Crimson, right. I like it. But for not exactly the same reason, because it's not just <laughs> it's not just catchy and for me to be like all hunky fucking dory listening to King Crimson. For me, listening to them is kind of like listening to a jazz record. It's just kind of like yeah. sit down and enjoy what I'm hearing, but really like just letting it sink in kind of thing. You can't I can't listen to in the core of the Kingdom King or Red casually in the background because it's just it is going to feel extremely fucking weird. And I'm just gonna be like, <laughs> I, I feel like I missed like the last three minutes of this song. Wait, only a minute and fifteen has gone by. Well what the fuck? But right. um because I actually tried that at work and uh I'm like, yep, I can't do it in this setting. So I have to <laughs> I have to actually just listen to it while I'm driving. Um but yeah, King Crimson for me is just I really like the musicianship of it and I like a lot of the production and performances of it, but I understand like the reasons that you and Drew gave why you guys don't. So yeah. I mean, but for me, I do, so it's a four. I'm a one. Drew. <laughs> yeah, I know, Bryce. Um, I give it a, I'm giving it a two um, because I, like Greg, would have to sit and like be attentive to this kind of music because if it was just playing in the background for me, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, and I would turn it off. I would just be like, this is fucking dumb. <laughs> but if I'm listening to it, I can understand like where it's kind of going and stuff. And, like, especially with the live stuff, like, I can at least, like, it feels more like an experience. It feels more kind of like you're supposed to be experiencing this thing as it flows when it does flow, which it flows better in the 80s and, like, some of the more modern stuff. And that stuff, like, I can listen to at least part of it, like, all right. But I just, uh, it's just not a three because there's just not enough stuff on there where I'm like, man, I would just go back and listen to this, like. 
Three right. would be if I would at least go back and listen to it again. I just like 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 you had a record or two that you'd be like, yeah, I could actually return to this on a slightly frequent basis. No, no, I wouldn't return to it. What I'm saying is that <laughs> if it came on and I was forced to listen to it, I wouldn't be like, uh, man, like this feels kind of like Oasis, you know what I mean? Like where I want to kill myself, <laughs> like Bryce does right now. Um, it's more kind of like I can I can tolerate this, but I don't want to listen to this. I didn't I didn't I didn't say I wanted to kill myself. I said I wanted to die. There, oh right, 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 right. Sorry, 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 sorry. There is, <laughs> anyways, there is like, a difference. The thing about it, there's some stuff in it that was kind of a bop where it's like, oh, it's impressive, but it was very rare. Like it was actually more common that uh I would get something that was like instrumentation wise, like more impressive with mostly everything else we've listened to thus far. Um but yeah, so that uh, it's two out of five for me on that one, uh, just because like none of it, not a lot of it was something that I would like come back to and listen to. Like, and four is for like if I really really liked it, and five is if like it's goaded, like it's up there with like obviously the best. Three is if I would go back and like listen to some of it and it was okay, and two is for stuff that I can tolerate and it's not horrible, and then one is just like basically Oasis. <laughs> Somehow Oasis was not your zero. I feel like that zero is out there. You just got to look for it. We just got to find it, baby. We're going to find, find it, it. I promise. You just got to uh, find that zero out of five. Bryce already found his. King Crimson scoring a total of seven points on the show. The first seven we've ever given uh, for what it's worth. Uh, one less than Blowfly to more than uh, Oasis. Um and uh, I think there was another another five over here, <laughs> Drake. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were listen to Drake. I think I was the one who even got it to make it up to a five because you guys yeah. both didn't like Drake so yeah. much. Uh, uh, yeah, it would have been rough for Drake without your three. Uh, let's talk, Drew. It's your week, buddy, to pick where we oh, go. Oh wow, next. it is. So oh yeah, man, is. oh man, you didn't come prepared, oh, boy. Did you? <laughs> no, oh! he did not. Not really come prepared to be honest with you. Um, damn. Let's see here. Um, let's see. We did blow fly. That was kind of rap music. So we have not done electronic artists in a while, and I know that that would be really exciting for Bryce to listen to another electronic <laughs> musical artist. Um, you know, I was thinking about Apex Twin. Um, because I have listened to a bit of Apex Twin, but not a lot. How many studio albums does Apex Twin actually have, though? I thought um, they only had, like, like a few total. I don't know if you're right about that. Oh, yeah, uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six studio albums. Oh, I didn't even think he had that many. I thought he only had, like, four. Selected ambient works, selected ambient works. Yeah, so Apex Twin is an option. We don't have to go that route. It's very industrial. So I feel like that would really piss Bryce off. Um, a lot. Um, I mean, it to... wouldn't... If it was industrial or not industrial, if it's fucking electronic music, uh, it's going to be me sitting there like, yeah, I mean, it's fine for this type of thing, I think. Uh, you know, and maybe maybe something would hit me and I'd be like, no, this was like a whole different deal. It's worth exploring. 
but uh, I don't think sure. the fact that it's industrial or not industrial or this type of subgenre or this other type of subgenre of electronic music is uh, really going to change how much it appeals to me personally. Um, I'm looking at some other stuff too. I'm going to see if I can find something. Um, let me think. I was going to recommend uh, Pendulum because they're kind of more like a drum and nope, no, 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 no. I've listened to enough of Pendulum. I know that would be awful to do. Um, <laughs> they also super... they also only have three albums, so. So I've listened to maybe one album by Fatboy Slim. How many albums does he have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Wait. Yeah. Um. Although one of them is uh, a compilation of just a bunch of different stuff, probably in a, it's probably a mix, like a DJ mix that he probably did. That's like separated by song. There's like two of those, I think. Yeah, uh, according, oh, according to Wikipedia, he has four studio albums, three live albums, a couple of, he has a soundtrack album with David Byrne. That's interesting. Hmm. Um. And several remix albums. I'm in favor of Fatboy Slim because of his notoriety and because, you know, we can do another electronic artist. Uh, but four studio albums is rather slim. Um, for what it's <laughs> ha! Ha! Oh, yeah. I didn't mean, I didn't even, that wasn't intended. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm guessing Crystal Method is out of the question. No, actually, Crystal Method is not out of the question. They wouldn't be out of the question for me either, in case you were wondering. Yeah, I, I know that. Um, do they have a lot? <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six records. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess they came up around the same time as... As all the other ones, um, yeah. As Chemical Brothers and somewhere around the end. It's an option. It sounds a lot like Chemical Brothers, and I was trying to think, like, it'd be nice to have, like, something that is, like, maybe, like, housey or something. Like, I, I was trying to think of something like that. Well, um, you would be the guy who would know more than neither of us, so. That is true. Yeah. And I'm looking right now. It's just, a lot of the time, it's it's hard to find people who will do, like, full lengths. Usually, they do, like, single releases and stuff, but. Um, I'm, I'm guessing Dead Mouse is out of the question. Um, he actually has a fair amount of albums. Jesus Christ, I didn't even realize. Yeah, no, Dead Mouse is is definitely an artist. It sucks that Green Velvet only has four full lengths. They do. He does have a lot of singles though. Um, like, and I mean, like, a lot of singles. Like, but he has four four lengths. Um, yeah, and some of them are remix albums too. It sucks, man. Like, a lot of these people are like. Well, the thing about we could do Green Velvet though because he was known as Cashmere before that, and there's two albums on that. I'm pretty sure. So that would make for six and all. Um, because there's It's Time, which has a lot of the old school stuff on it. Holy shit! Yeah, there's 22 songs on that because it's like a compilation of all the singles all conglomerated together. And then there's uh, two underground for the main stage. Um, 
which has all like cashmere stuff with uh, collaborations with other artists on it and stuff too. So we could do that where we just do a deep dive on Green Velvet and Kajmir. Um, because Kajmir is just Green Velvet before he was known as Green Velvet. And he was like more of a collaborative group. But this is like some OG house music stuff that we could do. I'm trying to think like of other house like OGs that we could do um, that are still like well known. Like I know Carl Cox, but he's more of just like an like he was more of just a DJ, though, like. He just was like known for his extensive collection. Like, if I go to popular releases, I don't think he has a. Yeah, all of his album stuff is just like mixes and stuff for the most part. Well, he has like a 2006 thing. If you're uh, not finding anything that you're particularly interested in or passionate about in the realm of house music, maybe we should move outside of the realm of house music. Yeah, I mean, we could. I was just saying, like, I, I was down with the cashmere green velvet thing if you guys were all right with that i was cool with it uh it sounds fine <laughs> I, yeah. I, uh, I wouldn't say it sounds particularly interesting but it sounds fine i mean i feel like you guys might get tired of boom 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 for like the entire week though but yeah probably i mean i'll probably get tired of i mean it how much for uh, an entire has, day how much uh cashmere stuff is on spotify a lot like I said, one of the albums is literally all of the singles. Because, like, that's the thing about house music. It was all released on singles, usually. Because um, yeah. you're fishing through crates and you're switching them out. You know what I mean? So it's, like, track here, track here. So you can, like, bring your vinyl up and just keep going, basically. Mm. Um, so that's kind of how they did that back then. So a lot of that stuff's going to be singles. Like, But they've, at least for the sake of Spotify, have taken, like, a lot of these singles and put them together. It's just, like... I mean, the Fatboy Slim catalog is kind of light, but I think Fatboy Slim's probably a better pick than yeah. Green Velvet Cashmere. I also have an insanely long week, like, for myself, so I would prefer to do a smaller discog sure. um, that's more digestible this week. Um, so I'm down with Fatboy Slim, if you guys are. Fatboy Slim? Okay. Fucking in heaven. Yeah. Let's go. Fatboy Fat Boy Slim is fine. Uh, I think that's a good pick. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some really good songs in his discog. I would say Daft Punk too because they like split, but I think I've listened to most of their shit to be honest. They yeah. would be disqualified for me. I know Daft Punk yeah. far too well, but Fatboy Slim, like, I I literally only know one record, and I haven't listened to that in years. I only remember a couple songs off it. Wait, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say though, Justice has a lot of extra shit, but they've kind of fallen off. They're not really. Yeah. Shall volume? I think, I think it's. I think it's Fatboy Slim, buddy. All right, Drew, talk about volume fifteen. Drew, talk about your upcoming shows, man. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we've got quite a few shows coming up with uh, Drewski and friends. Uh, Thursday night, I will be playing at a brand new nightclub's grand opening in Portland, Maine, by the name of Citrus. Um, address is still undisclosed, but it will be available very soon, <laughs> like probably the day of, um, but you can find all that information out, um, by checking out my Instagram page at thick boy Drewski, T H I C C B O I D R E W S K I. Um, Friday night, I will be playing in Portsmouth, New Hampshire at the world famous, uh, press room, uh, one of Portsmouth's oldest venues. 
And then Saturday night, I don't actually know any of that. I was just making it up. Saturday night, <laughs> I will be playing um, on the fire stage at Urban Farm Fermentary for a two DJs, uh, two stage event um, that will be going all afternoon into the late hours of the morning, or, or I should say early hours of the morning, which will be with a large selection of artists that will all be playing uh at elements from the portland maine uh scene elements music festival is uh memorial day week or is it labor day weekend whatever the one is in the first weekend of september in uh pennsylvania and labor that is yeah labor day weekend and then we've got next week wednesday july 14th will be the uh first of my residencies of thump day at the flask lounge in portland maine um, we'll be playing alongside with Stardust and Tumbledown, who just had a new single release. So that's really exciting. And we've also got July 24th, Back at the Flask, which is an unannounced event, which will be me alongside just my very good friend, DJ Meech. And we'll be doing a very special night there on that Saturday night as well. Um, and that is all of my July dates. So if you're in Portland, Maine, you're in luck. You're going to see a whole lot of this guy. Yeah, it's not all of your July dates because July 17th, we're at Urban Farm Fermentary with Sonic Libido. That's right. Uh, alongside with Barbicide from New York. Yeah. Should be a great show. Yeah. That's going to be an awesome show. And we're going to, it's going to be our big uh, comeback show. We're going to play a lot of songs that we've been, uh, working, uh, working hard on. So, um, I'm I'm really uh, uh, truly excited about it, even though you know it's kind of a big question mark because uh, this is a place that uh, they've had they've hosted all kinds of different music, but we're kind of a different thing from anything that they've hosted there before. So uh, it's going to be a fun environment to go into. Um, so come and check it out. Uh, that's July seventeenth, Saturday, July seventeenth at six p.m. over at Urban Farm Fermentary in Portland, Maine. Uh, I'm I'm I. It's so funny. You know, I was having a conversation with uh, Sean earlier this week about how, like, uh, I expected... For the people listening you know, at home, uh, who's Sean? Uh, the, <laughs> the bass player in the bed. Uh, I, you know, when, when, this, when it seemed like this thing was going to be, like, three months, um, I expected that the return to the stage... Uh, would be uh, just exuberance, uh, and it probably would have been. But now that it's been uh, like 500 days since we took the stage, um, there's all these other feelings of uh, uh, stress, you know, and and uh, anxiety surrounding it. Uh, for me personally, um, that uh, that I'm ready to kind of shake off uh, on stage and 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 push into having. Uh, the best performance possible, and I don't really know how it will affect me when I'm up there, uh, which is a bit of a combustible Edison, you know. And I think everybody's kind of feeling that. And so, uh, I'm I'm ready I'm, to go uh, see you guys, just even as a fan. So, I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, Sonic Levy. I mean, it'll be Rock of Shame. I'm pretty sure every everybody here in Rock of Shame is going to be at the show. So. Sure. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's exciting. The prospect is exciting, and I, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. 
but that's on the 17th. Uh, for now, uh, thanks for joining us on this wonderful adventure. We'll be back next week with Volume 15, Fatboy Slim. Please subscribe to the show. Tell your friends. Share it around. Music is better with friends. That's the whole point of the show here. But for now, and until then, your favorite band is out there. Go and find them.